Now, tonight, I want to talk to you about the beginnings of a mercy moment. You know, it was in uh, about a year or so ago, just a little over a year ago, that the Lord led us uh, to Plymouth, Massachusetts, to the very half acre where America began in that part of the world, into the very house where the pilgrims landed, and half of them had already died that first year, the first winter, and the, the half that remained, about 51 of them, they turned to God in prayer because they had a promise that the Lord was going to give them a, a place of freedom where men and women could, could worship without the dictates of government telling them what they could worship and declaring their parameters. They could worship freely according to conscience, and they could establish a nation whose purpose on the earth now, this is written in history books. You don't, this is, I'm not making this up. This is actually written. You can look up, uh, look, go online and just look up the Mayflower Compact, and you'll understand. The purpose of this nation that God was sending these men and women to found was for the, the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was the cornerstone of America, that Christ could be known, not just in this country, but through what he was going to do in this country, he could be also known throughout the world. His, his glory would spread far and wide. And that was the cornerstone of the founding of this country. The Lord led us there after 400 years to have a prayer meeting that went across the nation. And in this prayer meeting, he just said, I want you to ask for forgiveness for the things that you have done, for what you did with the 400 years of freedom that I gave you. Now, America has never been perfect, but there has been throughout the ages this inherent DNA, I guess, in this, in this society to, that God could still speak to us. And he could turn us, even when our ways displeased him, he could turn us and, and start moving us towards a place of, of righteousness. That means right living in the sight of God. And, and my prayer is that there's still a significant amount of that DNA left in this society that we can still hear and we can still turn. And may we begin to experience a mercy moment in our time. And so, Father, I, I thank you, God. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart. I thank you, Lord, that you don't call us when we're strong because we will share the glory. You call us when we're weak. You call us, Lord, when we know that we have nothing to offer you but just the life that you've created, and we simply bring it back to you and say, Lord, if you will, you can use me for your glory. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, we're asking you tonight to stretch your hand out one more time as we visit into the living rooms of people, the bedrooms, on the park benches, the cars, wherever somebody happens to be, as we visit them tonight and open your word together, stretch your hand out and begin to do miracles. Heal people who are sick in mind and in body. Deliver those that are oppressed. Bring healing into families. Bring backslidden loved ones back home. God, enable those that are feeble to stand up in the strength of God and make a difference in the workplace, in their environments. Help the pastors and religious leaders tonight who are afraid to stand and speak the word of God in their pulpits. Oh, Jesus, we've heard prayers all along these lines tonight. But above it all, Lord God, we stand here tonight because the honor of your name is now at stake. We are standing as your people, as you invited us to do. We stand at your throne in a time when we need mercy and grace to help. We're not standing, Lord, with any righteousness of our own. We bring to you nothing that we have done that is deserving of this mercy moment in this nation. We simply come to you because you've invited us to come. 
We come to you, Lord, because you said, come in your time of weakness. Come in your time of need. You promised to be our strength and our deliverer and do things for us, exploits, Lord, that would bring honor and glory to your name again. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, may it never be said, may it never be said that your people came to you and prayed and you denied us. Let it not be said, O God. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the confidence in our hearts that the God who went to a cross would not deny his people. Lord Jesus Christ, we're asking for mercy for our children. We're asking for mercy for our homes, our government, our families, my God. We, we have dissolved. We've broken apart. We've backslidden. We're becoming this horridly dark place. And God, we are calling out to you because only your presence can make a difference. There's nothing we can do now that's going to make a difference. There's no fancy preaching, no new gimmick in your house. Nothing can, that we can do that's going to change the tenure of this moment in time. Only your presence will make the difference. God Almighty, we ask you to come. We ask you to draw out your right hand of power. We ask you, Lord God, to raise up an army once again. We ask you, Lord, to deliver our children, God, from those that would oppress and, and confuse and pervert them. My God, my God, my God, my God, deliver, deliver your people, Lord. Deliver the nation. We even pray for our enemies, oh God. We ask for blessings on the enemies. Those that are fighting against you, we ask for the blessing of heaven to come upon them. Strengthen them, my God. Help, Lord. Help us, my God. Help us. We are like the blind man on the side of the road. We are like the woman who was sick in her body. We don't know what to do but to press through the crowd and say, Lord, if we can just touch you, if you can just hear us, Lord, we'll be whole. God, we need you. God, we need you. I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to pray. We need you, Lord. Jesus Christ, forgive us for what we've done as a nation to you, what we did with our freedom. How debauched and ungodly we become. Where liars are paraded in our streets, my God. We ask you for mercy. One more moment of mercy for the nation. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy on us. This one last time before you return, this one final moment in history, God, have mercy on our homes and our families and our children. And Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, my God. We thank you. We praise you for hearing us. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, I want to talk to you about a, a former mercy moment in history and how it all began. In Exodus chapter 3, this is where Moses has been in the backside of the desert for 40 years. He's a, a man who was called, but in his mind, he, he lost his calling. He was young and he was impulsive, took things into his own hands and did things he shouldn't have done. And, and because of it, was found himself driven into a wilderness. It was after 40 years of, of being nothing, may I put it that way, that suddenly the Lord appears to him with a a mandate that's so big it can only be gone. <laughs> I mean, it's not possible. He, he no longer has access to Pharaoh's court. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't have political access. He has no money. He's just a shepherd now. But it's at this point of his weakness that the Lord initiates a mercy moment for the nation of the people of God at that time. And chapter 3, verse 7 says, The Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians 
and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I is the cry of a man or woman, I believe, in that and in this generation that God will use for his glory. The person who doesn't have a plan, the person who doesn't have any confidence left in themselves, the person who, who doesn't, is not a mover and shaker in society, the, the person who feels like a failure, feels captivated by their circumstances or the decisions they made in the past. And suddenly the voice of God comes to such a man and says, I have a plan and I've chosen you to initiate that plan. And that plan is going to send an innumerable, innumerable number of people out of captivity and into freedom. And the immediate response, you'll find it all through scripture, you find it with Gideon, you find it in other places. Who am I? Even David the king, he said, when, when I consider the heavens and the works of thy hands, who is man or this, that you should be mindful of him? In other words, who are we that your focus should be upon us and somehow you should choose us to bring glory to your name in the earth. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 22, Jesus is talking about different types of people in different moments, I guess, in society where the word of God is spoken, marginally at least received, but something comes in and chokes it out. And he says, now he who received seed among the thorns, that's the word of God among thorns, is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So he's talking about a time where the word of God is or has been spoken, and the people actually received it when it was spoken. And the word of God should have led them into a place where they would have brought glory to the name of God and would have been a demonstration, in a sense, by the power of God, of who God is in the earth. But, but something else crept in and kind of surrounds, it's like a plant that you plant and, 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 and you don't weed the garden and weeds come in and they begin to choke it out. It's a stranglehold. It's, it's something that prevents growth and affects the intended purpose and it becomes unfruitful. And this is what Jesus said, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, they, they come in and they, they begin to choke this, this plant this, that was planted by the hand of God, and it doesn't reach its intended journey. It doesn't become what God intended it to be. And ultimately, Jesus said it actually becomes unfruitful. Now, the people of Moses' time would or should at least have known what God's intended purpose for them on the earth was. Now, right way back in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord appears to their their, forefather, their father, technically, you know, obviously there's, there's other lineages and time has gone on, but Abraham was the father of this nation. In Genesis 12, 1, the scripture says, the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, he's not just talking to Abraham. He's talking to all his descendants. And, and the descendants of Abraham, by faith, actually lead right through to the people that we are today as the church of Jesus Christ. That's what actually God was speaking to Abraham about. There's going to be a people in the earth that are going to bring glory to God. Through them, God will become known in the earth. And he goes on and he says, you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And here's the promise. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, now, how are they going to be blessed? They're going to be blessed because I'm going to do something in you and through you that's going to show them the reality of who I am. And they're going to turn. They're going to say, well, whoever your God is must be God. That's, of course, remember, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And they're going to bend their knee and turn. And, of course, the blessing of eternal life would become theirs, the blessing of salvation, the blessing of, of the abundance and, and purpose on the earth that God himself spoke to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the people would have known this was their history. This was their purpose. All the families of the earth are supposed to be blessed to us. So where do they find themselves now in the book of Exodus? They find themselves captive. They are oppressed. They're despairing for their children. I mean, their children, their firstborn sons, are, their sons, when they're born, are being thrown into the river to be drowned. I mean, the society has become so evil it's starting to attack their children. They're, they're, they're being given work to do that, that literally there's no end to it, and it, it doesn't really produce anything worthwhile. It's not satisfying. The society itself is rejecting them for the reason that, you know, the Scripture tells us that Pharaoh was actually wiser than the people of light were of that time because he said to his advisors, these people are more and mightier than we are. Let's afflict them lest they rise up when our enemies fight us and join our enemies and escape out of our hand. Let's afflict them so they forget who they are. Let's, let's afflict them so they forget that they're the people of God. Let's afflict them so they forget their history. Let's afflict them so they, they, they forget what, what God has done in them and through them over the years, how he parted the Red Sea and all of these things that are done for, that God has done to bring people out of captivity. Now, they're captivated by a hostile nation at this time, but in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, there's another church age that received the gospel, in a sense, in good times, and, but they too were choked by cares and concerns and thorns and became unfruitful. There's a church of Laodicea, and Jesus said to this church, because you say, I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, but do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So the Laodicean church, as opposed to the church or the people of God in, in, in Moses' time, the Laodicean church were captivated by, by wealth and by ease. You see, this, this became, I think, the besetting sin of America. God blessed the nation. God gave us wealth perhaps beyond the wealth of any nation that's ever been known throughout history. He gave us ease. He gave us victory from time to time as victory was needed. But we became captivated by our wealth and our love of ease. And in, in the book of Ezekiel, it's phenomenal because God speaks through Ezekiel to his own people, Jerusalem. And he, can, and he calls his own people the sisters of, of, of Sodom, in a sense. He said in, verse, in chapter 16, verse 49, he says, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister, sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, 
fullness of food, an abundance of idleness, and neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. So here are, here's a whole society forgetting its intended purpose, full of pride, saying, look what we have done. Look at what we have accomplished. Look at what our hand and our ingenuity has done. Fullness of food, not knowing any famine when perhaps other societies, other places had known famines. This particular point in history, this particular people had all the food they needed. They had an abundance of idle time. They could do all kinds of things that maybe other societies were not so blessed to be able to do. And they forgot the poor and needy and became self-focused. And hasn't that been the besetting sin of the American church in the last few decades where we, we turned from the focus of God and the purpose of God and we started turning inward and everything became about me and doctrines became about me, my life, my liberty, the pursuit of my happiness. In a sense, those things entrenched in the American Constitution actually became the doctrinal entrenchment of the Christian church. Everything was about me. It was no longer, and, and it was about my, my food. It was about the pride of my achievement. It was about becoming the head and not the tail. It was about the, the idleness, in a sense, all of the time that we had to do and, and just didn't put it to good use. And neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. But you see, God was talking about a society that forgot its intended purpose and turned to sexual perversion. And the perversion became so intense that God came down himself and said, I have to judge this. I can't let this go on in the world any longer. And does that not speak about America in this generation? That we're turning because we've had all of these things, but we forgot our intended purpose, and now we are turning as the book of Romans chapter 1 warns us, we are turning to sexual perversion. My heart was broken last week when I opened the news and I read the news and saw that a teacher was put on leave, only I think because parents rose up in, in revolt after teaching a class of, one, of, of grade one students how to masturbate. This is America. This is American schools. And tell me, I tell you, there would have been no dismissal of this teacher had the parents of that particular district not risen up. These things are in the curriculum. They're in our schools where we're now teaching six-year-olds how to masturbate. It's wicked. It's evil. There's no other way to describe this. This is where our society is going. A society is becoming increasingly perverse. We are deliberately gender-confusing our children in our schools now. We are in the same place that the children of Israel were in Egypt when their sons were being thrown into the river. Their families were being literally held captive by a, a, a society that was hostile to the purpose of God that God had ordained for his people. Pastor Tim Delina said on Sunday morning in his message, he said, God is reclaiming his church. And I fully agree with him that God has literally pulled the plug on church as it has been in America for a very, very good reason because we had largely become ineffective in touching our culture, our society. While we, we went on about our endless parade about all the wonderful things that we're doing for God, the whole nation was plunging into darkness. And in God's, in God's mercy, he pulled the plug. You understand? Mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy caused us to have to reconsider our ways. God's mercy had to cause us to pray again and say, Lord, how would you have us to reach this generation? How can we glorify your name one more time in history. God removed the distractions, and he brought us to a place where nothing satisfies anymore. 
It's only the work of God that satisfies the believer in Christ. Nothing else satisfies. We can build marvelous buildings. We can adorn them with beautiful lights and smoke, and we can get the finest musicians, but it doesn't satisfy. It's only the work of God in reaching the lost and discipling them and make them and turning them into disciples. That is the work of God in the earth. It's not to focus on ourselves, and it's to focus on ourselves that has brought us into the captivity that we are experiencing today. Our families, even in the house of God, you see it on the prayer requests, are being lost right before our eyes and attacked by enemies. And moms and dads don't know what to do when their son or daughter comes home at 11 years old and says, I feel like I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. I feel like I'm not a girl, I'm a boy. And I want to be called by my, my, my whatever it is, my preferential pronoun. And it becomes illegal for the moms and dads to even try to counsel their children that perhaps this behavior, perhaps this, this bend is not appropriate in the sight of God. And the greatest blessing of all is that this present church aid is being rejected by this society, and I thank God with all of my heart. You see, when the, when the society, when the society in, in Egypt rejected the people of God and started to oppress the people of God, started to physically harm the people of God, marginalize, and, and you can imagine, Everybody trudging out in the morning to get their straw, to make their bricks, to build monuments to men's egos. You can just imagine the, the people as the children of God are heading out to do these things, completely surrounded, completely captivated. Their children at the mercy of this godless society. Where's your God now? You talk about your God. You talk about the power of your God. You talk about the plan of your God. You talk about your purpose on the earth. Where is your God now? And you can just imagine these voices speaking into the minds and speaking into the hearts. Some of them are audible and some of them are just demonic. Where is your God now when you need him? But the scripture tells us in Psalm 107 that even though this was perhaps one of the worst moments for these people in all of history, it says those, in verse 10, says those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men, for he has broken the gates of bronze and cuts the bars of iron in two. Then they cried. Remember when God came to Moses in our opening scripture, what did he say? I have heard the cry of my people. And when God hears that cry, so I'm talking now to the people in their homes. I'm talking to moms and dads and teenagers. I'm talking to people who are oppressed, addicted, afflicted, troubled. You're in trial. You don't know what your future is. And all you have left is a cry. You don't hardly even have a prayer. Your cry is just a groan. You go to bed at night and say, oh, God, help me. It's that kind of a prayer that God now hears. And God came to Moses and said, I've heard the cry of my people. And I've come down now to set them free. This is a mercy moment in history. And I'm telling you tonight, the cry has begun in America. The cry has begun. And not everybody who's crying out is even a born-again believer yet. 
But people are just sick of sin. They're sick of the darkness. They're sick of the lying. They're sick of the perversion. They're tired. They're saying, this is not the way life is supposed to be. This is not the kind of a life I want to live. This is not the kind of a place I want to live in. Oh, God, would you help me? God, would you help my family? God, would you help my mind? Would you help my marriage? And it's now the mercy moment begins. But I want to remind you of something. God's moments of mercy come his way, not our way. Oh, yes, men would do things a certain way. We would go and we would pick a certain kind of a person, but that's not the way God has traditionally worked throughout history. His plan looks so weak on the outside, but it's walking with the power of God on the inside. He picks an 80-year-old man who's been 40 years in the wilderness who says, my time is past. My ministry of over, is over. My season is finished. And God says, no, it's all just beginning now because you're nothing and I need something that's nothing so that I can do something in the earth. I need somebody who won't touch the glory. I need somebody who knows the power is all of me and not of them. I need somebody who won't build themselves an ivory tower and tell everybody else how it's done. And so here comes an old man and his old brother with a stick in their hand into Pharaoh's court with a one-line sermon. And Moses is so weak, he can't even deliver it. He needs his brother to just say, thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. Praise be to God. I love, I love it because it, it levels the ground for everybody. For everybody. I'm talking to you who are addicted tonight. You who are afflicted. You who are behind prison bars. You will feel like you're nothing and you're nobody and you're a failure. You're a zero. You'd be happy just to be able to get into heaven. May I tell you, you are God's mercy plan for this generation. You are more than you understand you are. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, he will turn you into another person. He will take you out of weakness and into strength. He'll put a song of praise in your heart. He'll put clear thinking in your mind. He'll put power in your speech. He'll put compassion in your heart. He'll put direction before your life. He'll take you into a place you can't go in your own strength, give you what you could never possess, and make you into what you could never be in any amount of your own strength. That is the mercy plan of God. And what do you think your message will be to this generation? Look at what God has done for me. And let me tell you that what God has done for me, God will do for you. I often think that the people had the courage, in a sense, in Egypt to get up and get out. I mean, realistically, they were just told to go into the wilderness. They knew their provisions would only last so long. There was no real promise of manna yet at that point or water coming out of a rock. They had to trust God or they would have starved to death in the wilderness. I really believe what might have encouraged a lot of the people is when they saw these two old men and they saw the power of God that was, was animating them. They, they saw that, that through them, blessing had come. I think people took courage and say, well, if God can sustain these old guys, he can do it for me. He can carry me. That's why I've got hope for my life right now. Praise be to God. You look at me and say, if God could give that old guy that kind of fire, I want some of that stuff. I hope that's your cry tonight. Good grief, man. Don't let me do this alone. Would you please get up off your couch and get into the battle? After 40 years, Moses is refocused on his original calling. You know, when you, when you take a wrong turn, the GPS, I don't know what it, say, what it says, rededicating or recalibrating, whatever it is, reconfiguring, I don't even, I don't, I hardly ever listen. You know, men never listen to directions. That's why I hardly ever listen to things. But suddenly Moses is re, refocused, rerouted in a sense. 
to his original calling, not in his strength, in the strength of God. Now, here's my point. This is, this is now where you come in. You have a purpose that God preordained for your life before you were born. God had something in his heart for you that will bring his name to glory in the earth. Now, you might have completely missed it. You might have drifted off from the time you were a youth into a whole other plan, a whole other pathway. And now in, in God's mercy, and you might feel like Moses, you might feel like you're, you're, you're old and weak and you just blew it and, and it's all gone and you'd be happy just to squeak out a living. And suddenly this, the hand of God says, I'm going to reroute you into the place that I, I destined you from your birth to glorify my name. Moses was destined from his birth to glorify the name of God by bringing others into freedom. That was his purpose in life. You see, you had a purpose. God allowed you to be born for a reason. Now, you got into drugs. You took up bad relationships. You got into things you shouldn't have gotten into, and you became a person that you were never intended by God to be. And so here you are. And Moses stood before a bush that had the, the presence and power of God emanating from it. It looked like a flame of fire in the bush. And so here I am standing before you tonight, speaking to you on God's behalf. May I put it that way? Saying, there's something more for you than you've anticipated for your life. That's why I will always finish, as Pastor Tim does on Sunday morning, with giving you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior and encouraging you to pray for the power of God. God has a purpose for you. Some of you I'm speaking to tonight, you are, a, you are a powerful evangelist. You have a plan that God has for your life. It's not going to be you who does it. It's him who's going to do it through you. You're just being recalibrated back to what your life was originally designed by God to be. And that is called a mercy moment, not just for you, but for the people that will come into freedom through your life. That's the ultimate purpose of God's people. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you. You are by faith in Christ of the seed of Abraham. So that means the blessing is yours when you receive Christ. That all the families of the earth, that means everywhere you go and everything you touch, there'll be a blessing of God come with you that draws people into a living, saving, full relationship with the living God. 